Her and EU, a European podcast on gender equality. Brought to you by the Martin Center with Loredana Teodorescu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Her and EU, a new podcast on gender equality and women's role in the society. Despite significant progress, women are still underrepresented in many positions that shape politics, economics, and society. And how is this affecting all of us? What are the main obstacles and what can be done to overcome them? We want to address this issue from different angles, and today we will discuss women in think tanks. Think tanks are indeed key influencers of public policy, but are they reflecting the diversity of the society in their research, analysis, and engagement in public debates? I'm Loredana Teodorescu, research associate at the Martin Center for European Studies. I'm also the head of EU and International Affairs at Istituto Ligi Sturzo in Rome, and the Secretary General of Women and International Security Italy, also known as WISE. Today with me, I have the perfect guest for this topic, Rosa Balfour, Director at Carnegie Europe. Rosa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Loredana, for inviting me. Rosa, you have an impressive career as a woman in leading positions in think tanks, now at Carnegie, before that, among others, heading the European Policy Center in Brussels. So I'd like to start with your very own personal experience. So looking back, how being a woman has affected your career? Was it ever an obstacle in some ways or on the contrary, let's say, an advantage? Well, it was definitely never an advantage. When I joined the think tank community, it was very male dominated. There were fewer women um, working in this sector. Um, and it was hard. It was hard for us. Um, it, you know, if you in the coffee breakout at a conference, young women were treated as tapestry, you know, invisible. Um, you really had to um, step up. Uh, to to be heard, and you had to argue your point very forcefully to be paid, you know, to be taken seriously. I think probably for most of us, it was really difficult to be taken seriously by the mostly white-haired men that dominated the conversation. However, having said this, I was fortunate because I've always worked in environments with very nice colleagues and very nice supervisors who have done two things they've they've been supportive and they've also made me more aware of when i actually needed to be assertive in order to get my voice through um there's one thing i have to say which i i don't think it's particular it's necessarily female but i i know a lot of women who share this the kind of imposter syndrome what am i doing here um this sense of insecurity um lack of confidence um, which, however, has also driven me to work harder. I mean, while I was already in a think tank when I started doing my PhD and I felt that I needed to do it um, part-time uh, whilst working um, in order to affirm my validity, <laughs> to my expertise, to prove you know, that, that I needed that sort of expertise. Um, many men in think tanks don't have PhDs, um, probably some women as well. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, on the one hand, it's, it reflects lack of confidence. On the other, it drove me to be, um, you know, to focus very much on my expertise um, and to, to embark on, a, you know, a, a project, a real research project, um, which I think helped me 
you know, help my my career, help my, you know, my my professional development. So you worked hard. Uh, you had to overcome some lack of confidence, as as many women. Uh, but you've been also, as you were saying, fortunate in a way, meeting people who encouraged or supported you. And certainly, you made it. But are you an exception? What is the overall situation? Uh, I'm particularly referring here to a research that you published together with Corinna Horst and other experts, precisely on women in European think tanks, asking yourself if they are or not absent influencers. So what are the main findings of your research? And are European think tanks giving an equal space and an equal voice to women? Uh, no, the findings are that uh, the think tank environment is very attractive to men and women alike. So at entry level, you have roughly 50% men, 50% women. But when you look at the leadership of think tanks, it's still overwhelmingly male. Um, uh, all the presidents of the think tanks that we surveyed across the EU are male and three quarters of the directors are, uh, are male. Um, so we, what we see is that actually climbing up the ladder of a think tank, of the think tank hierarchy is harder for women than it is for men. Um, and so that, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the main uh, finding. The other is that where you do have women who reach leadership positions, it tends to be on administration, events organization, communications, um, finance perhaps, and less so in the content. So the research and analysis continues to be overwhelmingly male. Um, and this means that there are objective issues. Now I remember one of my first tweets was of a panel, um, a director's panel at a think tank forum that was bringing together several European think tanks, and they were all men. Now, perhaps there might be one or two. There were a lot. There were quite. It was a very large panel of the sort that we tend not to do any longer with you know ten speakers. Um, but now, if we were to do a panel like that, you know, of the ten speakers, only three would be women. And you know, ten ten years ago, whenever it is that I did this tweet. Um, they were all men. So things are changing, but they're changing rather slowly. Yes, I think that's very interesting to give us an overall picture. Indeed, women are present, are working in think tanks, but let's not forget they are not always in the position to be, let's say, real influencers. So it's important to point it out because we are somehow missing a point of view in our discussions and reflections. And what about women like you with an expertise in foreign policy or security? I mean, is the situation somehow different for them? Uh, no, I mean, there are several areas, and we also looked at this um, in, in the when we were doing research for that paper, there's several areas where there are very few women. Um, economics is the worst. I mean, the think tanks that focus on, on economics, some of them are entirely male. Um, foreign and security policy is also quite male-dominated. Um, and then you, if you move towards um, themes such as human rights, social rights, cultural issues, um, uh, th th that's where there are more women. Uh, so so there's, there's, there's a bit of a, a, a sort of stronger presence of women in 
um, subjects that are considered softer subjects, whereas the harder subjects still are uh, very male dominated. I think the other thing to add is that the think tank environment and certainly the foreign and security policy environment is very competitive and um, and it's and um, it's full of prima donnas, male prima donnas, um, and it's very difficult to find space and to have voice. Um, so you really have to stand out. Uh, and that is something that one learns along the way, um, uh, how, how difficult that is. But yes, certainly foreign and security policy is an area full of prima donnas. It's, um, you know, there's perhaps uh, some... Uh, some attraction to it because of travel opportunities, because of media exposure, um, which makes it hard, for instance, for shy people to 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 come out. Um, so it's um, so it is very dominated by 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 men. And can you tell us a little bit more about the consequences of this situation? I mean. How does it affect the role that think tanks can still play today based on your experience? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is that think tanks claim to be innovative. If you go, if you look at the websites of the various think tanks, all of them will say we are ahead of the curve. We are innovative. We have new ideas uh, that we bring to the policy circle. All think tanks make that claim. And the question is, How can you be innovative if you're actually representing a very small proportion of the population? And that's, that is, I think, the reason for which it's absolutely critical that think tanks um, embrace a degree of diversity in order to be open and listening to a variety of points of views so that when they engage with policy circles, which themselves tend to be elitist and closed, um, think tanks can actually bring different perspectives from different sectors of society. So when I speak of diversity, I mean, with Corinna for that paper, we looked at the role of women in think tanks, but this is by no means exhaustive. I mean, we also need to think about uh, social uh, variety. We also need, uh, you know, diversity. We need to think about um, uh, different perspectives Um, including ethnicity, religion, uh, social extraction, um, it, it break the mold whereby this think tank environment is really an elitist, um, cosmopolitan, polyglot um, community only. Um, otherwise, how can uh, think tanks really make the claim um, that they can be innovative? It's um, it's um, you know it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a Um, contradiction in terms um, if think tanks themselves are not renewing. I mean, the other striking feature when we did the research for the paper is that if you look at political parties, um, European Union institutions, they, many of them, not all, many of them have actually adopted um, policies to encourage the participation of women. And And they have been ahead of the curve with, by comparison to um, think tanks. It's only recently, very recently, um, that, uh, you know, uh, that 
most think tanks would be ashamed of um, proposing all-male panels. But up until three or four years ago, that was happening all the time. And in certain European countries, it still happens and nobody even notices. Um, so so there's, there's a lot more that, that can be done and should be done um, if think tanks would want to be true to their mission of uh, being creative and engaging with um, policy circles um, with by bringing different perspectives from different parts of society. And following up on this, uh, do you have some concrete proposals or recommendations, I mean, in order to promote a stronger inclusion of women in think tanks also in leadership and content related positions? I know that we could discuss this for hours, so maybe you can give us, I don't know, two or three suggestions. Yes, I can. But let me just underline that the think tanks are kind of the tip of the iceberg, because before getting into a think tank, um, people will have gone to universities and they will have done postgraduate degrees. And that's in a way where that is. And then, of course, before that school. And if, you know, if academic institutions are not producing enough female graduates in economics or in international relations, then it's going to be hard for think tanks to hire them. So there's a problem at source, um, which needs to be addressed. Um, but think tanks too can play their part. Um, there are a number of things. The first, I think, in light of our findings, that it, it appears that women don't, don't make it quite as easily up the um, hierarchy of think tanks, I think it's very important to create incentives for mentoring, uh, for supporting women uh, to take their next uh, career step, um, for identifying the opportunities. I mean, sometimes it, the bias is actually, is not just the old men out there, it's also women themselves who don't feel appropriate to apply for certain jobs. So I think that at one level, um, more mechanisms can be found to uh, to encourage professional growth within think tanks. Another, and this I have to say was critical for me, um, I have, I, I've never actually been particularly career oriented. So I've never tried to climb up the hierarchy. But what I have done is build networks with peers um, who, you know, not, not even support group, but just friends, people who appreciate uh, your work and people who, um, who, who who support you were in need. And that network has been very important to me to help me say, you know, it, I mean, it was a friend, uh, a female friend who said, Rosa, you should apply for this job as director of Carnegie Europe. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done that. And, and, and that sort of um, support um, is, is absolutely critical and it also helps uh, professional growth. Um, the other thing uh, that think tanks can do is perhaps widen uh, the um, range of outlets where jobs are posted, advertised, and, and target universities which perhaps, um, you know, are not necessarily in the mould of Uh, you know, the, the, the type of people that tends to join think tanks. So perhaps reach out to academic institutions that um, have more women or have, uh, you know, a greater percentage of people from 
different ethnic and religious backgrounds, um, open up a bit. Also, perhaps some uh, think tanks could open up more to foreigners, um, even though they're language barriers, which are understandable. But a lot of the work we do is actually in English. So, uh, you know, one can envisage the possibility of having foreigners working in, in national think tanks. Why not? Uh, this is also something that has um, that has gone very, very slowly. Um, you know, it's a change that has gone very slow, that has is taking place, but, but very, very slowly. So these are just three practical steps that think tanks can take um, in order to address this um, imbalance. Yeah, indeed, there are things that can and should be done. They are connected, as you pointed out, to education, culture, mindset, awareness, uh, networks. And as we are speaking about women shaping our societies of today and tomorrow, before concluding this conversation, I would like to briefly mention the ongoing reflection on the future of Europe and the contribution that women experts can bring to it. So what is your main proposal for Europe's way forward? So the, the conference on the future of Europe started off um, on the wrong track. It was postponed because of the coronavirus pandemic. Then we had, uh, we, we saw several institutional rivalries, um, a lot of men, by the way, um, in, in the leading positions. And it's this is a bit of a deja vu, um, the, the sort of squabbles that take place whenever EU representatives and leaders uh, meet to uh, discuss how to reform the institutions. Um, I personally, I think the focus should be less on the end result, um, but more perhaps on process. Uh, the reason I say this is that we are living, we are going through a period of great contestation of the concept of the EU itself. Um, so it's really not a question of finding a bargain between the old ideologies of federalism versus intergovernmentalism. It's, it has to be about something different. So what I'd like the conference in the future of Europe to host is really um, inclusive uh, discussions and engagements with a wide variety um, of citizens and groups and organizations for um, really just open boxes rather than try and close them um, and 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 engage in a process of, uh, shall we say, perhaps creative destruction, something perhaps very messy, but that might help identify why it is that the EU, um, what, what it is that the EU can provide for future generations. I mean, we've had a narrative about the EU, peace, democracy, and prosperity, which uh, resonated for several decades, but it no longer resonates with the younger generation. Um, we are going through a crisis of democracy, um, which EU institutions and the member states and citizens need to address. And the Conference on the Future of Europe could be a space to do that um, without necessarily a specific end game in mind. Um, eventually, treaty reform will be needed, um, but it's at the moment um, all political parties are allergic to the thought. Uh, no country is going to spearhead it. 
Um, so, so we need to, that has to be, you know, in the sort of long-term distance. For now, perhaps, if we could orchestrate um, some, uh, you know, some, yeah, real, solid, in-depth, messy discussions about what the EU is for, um, that, I think, could generate a process which could eventually lead to new ideas for Europe's future. Rosa, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and for this interesting conversation. Thanks to the Martin Center for making this podcast possible. And thank you all for listening. We will be back soon with a new episode of Her and EU, so stay tuned. That was today's episode of Her and EU. Subscribe to our podcast for more.